How nice indeed. It's a holiday weekend. And uh, I live down in Sausalito. About 20,000 people will come to Sausalito this weekend for the uh, Sausalito Art Festival. And you know up north also they're having uh, Burning Man. Have you heard of Burning Man? And I'm sure that all over the Bay Area there are other festive activities uh, taking place, but without doubt, this is where the action is. And uh, I would uh, I would rather be here, sincerely I'm saying I would rather be here than any place in the whole world. I love the music, and it's great to be with God's people. Uh, thank, thank God that we are able to do this today. Shall we bow our heads and close our eyes to pray? Our Father, we ask now that your Spirit might rest upon us that you might help us to understand the spiritual realities with which we live. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. About 2,000 years ago in the city of Tarsus, a man was born named Saul. He was a Roman citizen and also a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was about as Jewish as you could uh, get. And he went up to Jerusalem to train under Gamaliel, who was a well-known rabbi and was one who was honored by all the people, according to the book of Acts, chapter 5, verse 4. He was a genius. Saul of Tarsus was a genius. Uh, History has shown uh, this, this to be true. But he was also opposed to the burgeoning church. This was just after the life of Jesus Christ. And um, the church was just being born. It was a little baby who was just being born. There were hundreds, perhaps even thousands of people who were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Saul was diametrically opposed uh, to the church. In his mind, he was hoping that the church would cease to exist because it was in such conflict with the Jewish faith as he understood it, having been trained by Gamaliel. About the same time, there was another man named Stephen. Stephen was on the other side of the aisle. He was a Christian, a believer, a deacon in the early church, and according to the sixth chapter of the book of Acts, he was a man that was full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. He was a strong debater. And so he got into a debate with some, uh, some Jewish people, and uh, when they could not defeat him in the debate, they decided that they would falsely accuse him of, uh, of blasphemy. And so they did. They accused him of blasphemy, and he was taken before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish court, to be tried. So they gave him a chance to speak, and he stood up and began to speak very powerfully. He rehearsed the history of the nation of Israel, how Abraham and Joseph and Moses and David had been used by God in the forming of the nation of Israel. And as he shaped the history of Israel, he came to a point when he said, but you know our forefathers and you too have persecuted all of the prophets. He said to this Sanhedrin, he said, can you think of one prophet that our people did not persecute? And they even plotted to kill the Messiah, Stephen said. Well, this was uh, 
didn't go over well with the Sanhedrin. They were enraged by what Stephen was saying. And so they decided to follow the prescription that's found in the 17th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, and they decided to stone Stephen. Now the 17th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy says that when someone was found guilty of a high crime such as blasphemy, which is what uh, they were saying that uh, Stephen had committed, that those who had accused him or her of the crime should be the ones who would cast the first stones. And so these accusers who came against Stephen took their cloaks and they laid them at the feet of this man, Saul of Tarsus. And then they picked up rocks and they began to throw them at Stephen and one hit him and another hit him. And then all the, 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 the congregation, all of the people picked up rocks and they began to throw them at Stephen. In this way, it was thought that no one individual was responsible for the death of the individual who was being stoned. And so Stephen, as the rocks were hitting him, looked up into heaven and he saw Jesus. He saw the Son of God. And he prayed and he said, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And then he died. And there stood Saul of Tarsus watching this whole thing happen. Well, the 8th chapter of the book of Acts says that Saul agreed with the stoning of Stephen. He was not saying, poor Stephen. He was saying in his mind, well, he's getting exactly what he deserved because he's a blasphemer. And Saul began to harm the church severely, according to the 8th chapter of the book of Acts. He would go to people's homes that he knew were believers, and he would break down the door and go in and take out the men and the women alike and put them in chains and bring them to be tried before the Jewish councils. He was a terrorist. The scripture tells us that he was breathing threats of murder. I'm going to kill them. I'm going to kill those Christians. Those blasphemers. Those believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to chain them up. I'm going to take them prisoner. And I'm going to kill them. And because of this persecution, the church scattered. The Believers left Jerusalem, and as they did, they went preaching. So the whole strategy backfired, and the more that they went out into the towns and villages, the more the Lord Jesus Christ was proclaimed. And Saul heard that there were some believers up in Damascus, and he wanted to go up to Damascus to find those people and put them in chains and bring them back to Jerusalem. Now, Damascus is about 170 miles from Jerusalem. And so it was as if Saul said, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to walk over to Damascus. And it, it would be almost like uh, me saying, I'm going to walk over to Sacramento. And I'm going to find a bunch of Christians. I'm going to put them in chains. And then I'm going to walk back here uh, to Tiburon. Quite an undertaking. You had to really want to do it. And so he received permission to go to Damascus. And as he walked to Damascus that 170 miles, soon he got close to the city of Damascus, and something happened that he didn't expect to happen at all. And we read about it in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. 
verses 3 through 5, and this is what it says. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked him up, himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. Here's a situation where Saul, this man who was so dedicated to wiping out the church of Jesus Christ, on the road to Damascus is encountered by the living Christ. And a voice and a blinding light that caused him to fall into the dirt. It was a traumatic experience for this man Saul of Tarsus. And the voice said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Trauma for Saul. Realizing that he's on the wrong side of the aisle. And wondering, when he got himself up again, he was blind. When he, he picked himself up out of the dirt, he was blind. And they led him by the hand to Damascus, where he remained for three days. And he was blind. Well, uh, let's freeze this story at this point. And look at three spiritual realities with which... We all live. And which collaborate in our lives to help us to live in a way that is Christian. And a way of faith and obedience to Christ. The first is, there is a revealing. There is a revealing. You see, Jesus revealed himself to Saul on that road. Through that blinding light and through that voice that spoke to him. He had been going along in his life opposed to Christ. And Christ revealed himself to, the, uh, to Saul at that point. Acts 9 verse 27 says that he saw the Lord on the way to Damascus. And the Lord spoke to him. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 8. He himself said, I also saw him. On the road to Damascus. And in, in Paul's or Saul's mind, he had encountered the living Christ. Well, what about, what about those of us who, uh, who have not had a traumatic experience like that? What about those of us who have not heard a voice of the Lord Jesus Christ himself? And those of us who have not seen a blinding light, have not had a traumatic experience where God showed himself to us in that way. Is it reasonable that we ourselves should also believe? You, you know, you can say, well, I can't see God and I can't hear him. I can't touch him. I can't feel him. And is it really reasonable that I should believe in him and that I should think that he is with me? How do I know when I pray that I'm not just talking to the air? 
How do I know I'm not just wasting my breath? Well, I'd like to suggest that God, because He is sovereign Lord, has the ability to choose the form in which He reveals Himself to us. Doesn't it make sense that if He is indeed God, He has a right to reveal Himself in the way that He wishes to? Uh, I attended a professional conference a couple of weeks ago at the Palace Hotel in San Francisco. And at that uh, conference, you know, they would have a speaker, they'd have a presenter, and then uh, at the end, they, uh, they would have a coffee break. And so there was a young woman who was a presenter, and she was there for 30 minutes. She did a splendid job, wonderful job. And during the coffee break, her path and my path uh, crossed, and so I struck up a conversation with her. And, you know, when you don't know someone, you're trying to get acquainted with them, you ask them, you know, well, uh, do you live uh, here in San Francisco? No, she said, I live in Phoenix. Uh, oh, yeah, well, what... Uh, what do you like to do when you're not working? I like to go hiking with my dog. And, you know, and I'm telling her, I live in Sausalito and uh, I have a small business and all of these things. And we're just, that's the way it is when you're revealing, when you meet someone, you're revealing yourself to each other, aren't you? You're sharing with one another. So what if in this conversation, when she said, I live in Phoenix, what if I had said, oh, well, uh, what's your street address? Is there an apartment number? <laughs> well, the revelation would have come to a screeching halt. Because she has a right to reveal what she wishes to reveal about herself. And God is in that boat also, where he has the right to reveal himself in the way that he wishes to reveal himself. Well, just because he has not made it so that we can see him and hear him in the same way that Saul of Tarsus was able to, does that mean he has not shared himself? Well, according to the Psalm 19, this is what Psalm 19 says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The heaven and the skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. You look up into the sky and you see the stars. You look at the the complexity of the human body. And you know, today on the internet I saw a, a video where they had taken a camera and they had put it on the back of an eagle. And uh, you can watch the eagle soaring over all the, the, the cliffs and the... Uh, and the ocean and uh, in such an effortless way. I say this is God showing himself to us. I say this is God revealing to us his great power and his divine nature. And Saul of Tarsus, after he became Paul the Apostle and wrote the book of Romans, I said a moment ago he was a genius. If you don't believe me, just read the book of Romans and think about what's in the book of Romans. And this is what Paul said in the first chapter of the book of Romans. He said, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Irrefutable. 
And what about 3,000 years of Christian experience? What about the Bible, the records of Noah and Abraham and Moses and David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jesus, the apostles, and the early church? What about two billion believers today who all over the world will be gathering to worship in the same way that we are and to say by their worship, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's been at work in our lives and he's been doing something in our lives. Was it just the blinding light and the sound that caused Saul to believe, or was it the testimony of Stephen? Was his observation of the faith of Stephen a big part of what helped him to become a believer in that way? And what about the Lord's Supper? When we celebrate the Lord's Supper in a moment, aren't we proclaiming the death of the Lord Jesus until he comes back? So there's three spiritual realities, and the first of those is a revealing. It is the reality that God has shared himself with us. The second spiritual reality, there is a choosing. There is a revealing, and there is a choosing. You know, uh, after they led Saul into Damascus, and he was blind for three days, can you imagine Saul there in that house on Straight Street, he's blind. He didn't know whether he's ever going to be able to see again. And he's praying to God and he's saying, God, please help me. Please help me get my sight again. And he's repenting and he's saying, Lord Jesus Christ, I know that you're my Lord and my master and I want to serve you. Please restore my sight. And so the Lord spoke to a man named Ananias and he said, Ananias, there's a man over there on Straight Street named Saul of Tarsus. And he's been blinded, and I want you to go over there and, and pray for him so that he can receive his sight again. And Ananias said, I don't think so. He said, I know who this man Saul is. He's famous because of the way he persecutes Christians, how he puts us in chain and how he wants to kill us, I'm, I'm pretty reluctant to go over there and do that. And this is what the Lord said to him. Acts chapter 9, verse 15, he said, Go, Saul. He said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. He says to Ananias, Don't be afraid, because I have chosen Saul. I've picked him out. He's my instrument. I'd like to suggest today that just as there is a revealing where God reveals himself to us, there is also a sense in which he chooses us to be his believers and to follow him. And that choosing is not based on our goodness. It's not based on anything special about us. It's based on his sovereignty and his own decision. There's a passage of scripture in Romans chapter 9. This again is something that Paul the Apostle wrote, not Saul of Tarsus. Paul the Apostle wrote and he's talking about the birth of Jacob and Esau. You know that Abraham had a son named Isaac and Isaac married Rebekah. And well this is what the scripture says. It says when he, talking about Isaac, married Rebekah she gave birth to twins. Isaac and Rebekah had children and they were twins, Jacob and Esau. 
But before they were born, before Jacob and Esau were born, before they had done anything good or bad, Jacob and Esau had not been born yet. They had not done anything good or bad. She received a message from God. And this message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. She was told, your older son will serve your younger son. In the words of the scripture, I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau. God had a special plan for Jacob, you see, but not for Esau. And he, he gave this message to their mother before they had done anything good or bad because he wanted to demonstrate that he makes choices according to his own sovereignty and his own will. Something happened uh, six decades ago, and I remember it uh, like it was yesterday. I was eight years old at the time, and uh, my father was a pastor, and uh, my grandfather was a really fundamentalist, uh, dyed-in-the-wool Baptist deacon in Fort Worth, Texas. So... My father and mother and my brother and I uh, went up to Fort Worth when I was eight years old and we went to visit the grandparents and we went to church with them. <clears throat> they belonged to a church named Diamond Hill Baptist Church. I don't think the church exists now. <clears throat> but as I remember it as an eight-year-old boy, it was a big church with lots of people. Of course, when you're little, everything looks big. So it may, it may not have been such, but that's the way I remember. It was a big church. And the preacher was preaching, and they came to the end when they had the invitation. And I remember as an eight-year-old boy, I remember having this overwhelming feeling that the Lord was saying to me, I'm calling you to the ministry. And before I knew what happened, I was out of my chair, and I was down there at the front telling the pastor... I think God's calling me to be a preacher. And of course, as they did, then they told everybody in the church. And uh, so I remember after that, uh, that was over, we went back to my grandparents' house and they were cooking lunch. And I was sitting out on the, out on the porch in front of the house, watching the cars go by on the street. And I said to myself, you've just made the stupidest decision a person could make. <laughs> And from that point on, I said to myself, no dice, I'm not doing this. And for 10 years, I lived up to that rebellion. But you see where we are now? Yeah. Why is this? It's because God chooses. You see, He's sovereign, He chooses. And then there's a third spiritual reality. There's the reality of God revealing Himself. There's the reality of God choosing. And then there's the reality of God changing. There's a revealing and there's a choosing and there's a changing. Acts chapter 9 verse 19 through 21 says, Saul, uh, Saul uh, stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is indeed the Son of God. What a change. What a change. 
just because of God's revelation, just because of God's choosing, all of a sudden he is being changed from a murdering skeptic to a powerful preacher. And all who heard him were amazed, the scripture said. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? They asked. How could this be the same man? How could it be the same man? Isn't he the one who was killing Christians and now he's proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God? You know, changing comes as a result of revealing and choosing. And one of the reasons that as believers we love to do things that are consistent with the Word of God, one of the reasons we love to come to church, and we love to pray, we love to read the Bible, we we, we have the attitudes that we have, we have the beliefs that we have, is because God has worked in our lives at this way. There is a way in which He changes us, you see, as a result of this. Paul wrote in the book of, of Ephesians, same guy, Saul of Tarsus, now changed to Paul the Apostle. He wrote, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. See, that God chose us. He loved us. and he chose, Even before he created the world, he knew who we were. And he chose us. And he loved us. And he proposed that we should be holy. That's why we strive for holiness. That's why we strive for purity. And God knows we fall short of him. But we strive in that way. And the Lord's Supper is a way by which we have communication with the living Christ. As we gather around this table today, we take a moment to remember and reflect upon the great love and sacrifice that our Lord Jesus Christ paid on our behalf. We celebrate the forgiveness of sin, but we do so with solemn humility because of the tremendous price that Jesus paid to die for our sins. On the night before Jesus went to the cross to be crucified, he took his twelve disciples into an upper room. And they celebrated the Passover meal. In doing so, Jesus gave to us this ceremony that helps us to remember God's amazing grace and an opportunity to declare your faith in Jesus Christ. God's Word tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the bread, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So if you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior by his death and resurrection, then we invite you to please join us at this table and proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So let us prepare our hearts as the deacons now share the bread.